Well, a merry and a blessed Christmas to all of you. Maybe I'm one of the first ones who have told you that. I'm glad to wish you that. And I, as I do, I think that one of the things you may not think about when you're told Merry Christmas or uh, Blessed Christmas, you may not think about sin. For some of us, sin is not the first concept that pops into our mind when someone talks about Christmas. But in fact, sin is a Christmas word, a fundamental Christmas word, and actually a logical word to begin with when you talk about Christmas words in a preaching series. Because in fact, theologically, sin caused Christmas. Look at it this way. If mankind's biggest problem was ignorance, then God would have sent us a teacher. If our biggest problem had been poverty, then good God would have sent us a billionaire. If our biggest problem was sickness, then God would have sent a doctor. But we know, thank God, that he sent us a savior. Because mankind's biggest problem then and mankind's biggest problem down to today is sin. That's our biggest problem. Let me define sin. Sin is displeasing holy God by contradicting holy God's character in thought, word, or action by commission, things we do, or by omission, things we leave undone. Let me say it again. A a sin definition would be, sin is displeasing holy God by contradicting his character in thought, word, or action by commission or by omission. And we're all sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When you talk about sin, one helpful thing to point out is that S-I-N in the middle of the word is I. S-I-N. Sin always has I in the middle of it. Sin is always an inside job. Properly, we can't blame anyone else for our sin. My mama, my papa, my economic situation. Sin, all sin, is an inside job because the word sin has the letter I right in the middle of it. I is always in the middle of sin. If you turn with me to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter three, where sin emerged, we're going to see some things. And going to Genesis chapter three, we're going to see some not so obvious Christmas Bible verses. I'm beginning to read in Genesis three, beginning at verse six, And then pausing at verse seven. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Those verses give us sin's pull. Now I want to give you some verses from the same chapter that give us sin's push. Those would be verses 12 and 13, Genesis 3. Then the man said to God, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tr- of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it? 
this you've done. And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see, sin has a pull, but also sin has a push. We blame others for our sin. But let's stay in Genesis 3. We've seen a pull here, sin's pull. We've seen sin's push. Let's see sin's pain. Verses 16 to 19 of Genesis 3. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, at your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That is sin's pain. Sin had a pull, sin had a push. Sin had a pain, and it's still the same. Sin still has a pull. Sin still has a push. And sin still has pain. And you know, it is dangerous, in fact, eternally dangerous, that the concept, the notion, the idea of sin has fallen on blurred and redefined into lies nowadays both inside the church and outside of the church. We live in a time, have you noticed? We live in a time which is so tolerant that it's treacherous. We live in a time when it's so sophisticated that it's stupid. We live in a time that is so evil that it is disorienting. Now, wrong is called right. And right is called wrong. Gradually, over time, the unthinkable becomes tolerable and then acceptable and then legal and then praised. There are things that our grandparents thought to be unthinkable sin that now is tolerated, that now is said to be acceptable, that legislators have said is now legal, and that the culture without Christ says you're a bigot unless you praise that, encourage that, teach that to your children. Recently, I was talking on the phone with a representative of the Canadian pension plan that I'm a part of. It was a routine checkup that the pension plan had to make to call me and see about me as a client. We had a conversation. The pension plan man said, do you have a spouse? Yes. He asked me for my spouse's name, Beth. Then he asked me, was she born female? 
not really funny. Was she born female? It's come to that. What once was unthinkable has become tolerable, has become acceptable, has become legal, has become praiseworthy. It's a dangerous time. We live in a time when sin has been dumbed down, calmed down, and watered down. We live at a time when sin has been dumbed down, calmed down, and watered down into being mistakes. Only natural, subjective, marketable, old-fashioned, repressive, funny, entertaining, a ball and chain which the educated refuse. We live in a time when sin has been dumbed down, calmed down, and watered down so that seen to be passe, a fossil of a former time. Somehow religious and unhelpful imagination. And for some people who are so smart they're stupid in our universities and colleges, they would even contend that sin no longer exists. And the chaotic result is that every person does what's right in his own eyes. And nowadays, we have very high profile preachers who write very poor books and that sell in the millions and live in multi-million dollar mansions and they don't even mention from their pulpits the word sin. They don't even put on one page of their best-selling books the word sin. Of course, all of this counter-biblical thinking about sin is nonsense, and it's rubbish, and it's lies, and it's foolish thinking. But most seriously, all this current watering, dumbing down of sin is dangerous. It's lethal. Eternally lethal. Because all of that satanically sourced untrue positions on sin is damning to hell. I saw a cartoon of a wall. You can see both sides of the wall in the cartoon. On the one side of the wall, the inside of the wall, is a cobra, a vicious, poisonous cobra snake. And there's a hole in the baseboard on the other side of the wall with a child, a little child. And the cobra's snake's tail is poking through the hole in the baseboard and all the child can see is what it thinks is the tail of a mouse. And the child is thinking he ought to play with a cobra tug on a cobra. Find out more about a cobra. Friends, it is high time that the church of Jesus Christ in the Bahamas and in the world stops excusing sin 
to return to the biblical position of excising it. It's time for the church in the Bahamas and in the world to stop coddling sin and instead with the scriptures to cut it out of our families. Let me introduce to you a word that may be new. Epistemology. Epistemology is a branch of philosophy which studies the nature of knowledge. And epistemology is a branch of philosophy that studies not only the nature of knowledge, but the foundations of knowledge, how you get knowledge. Epistemology. We live in a time, stay with me, we live in a time when the world's epistemology of the concept of sin, without God's input, totally ignoring God's input and position on sin, we have an epistemology that says this. Sin and having a knowledge of sin without what God has said about it, knowing that and heeding that, that the knowledge of sin is a blind man in a black room looking for a black cat that isn't there. When you take away the revealed truth, the propositional truth from Almighty God on the topic of sin, you throw that out the window, you don't try to know God or his will at all. You just leave yourself to your own devices and what the bright people around you without Christ tell you, then you are left with a basis of knowledge of sin that's desperate and futile. You are left understanding sin to be like a blind man in a black room looking for a black cat that doesn't even exist. When any person claims to know something about sin while at the same time Xing out God and Xing out whatever God has said about sin, then he is like a blind man looking for a black cat in a room with no lights and there is no cat. You want to talk about disorienting? You want to talk about dangerous? When I was learning to be a scuba diver and getting certified, one of the things they did was they put a tank in the bottom of a 10-foot deep pool, gave a weight belt to each of us, and a blackened mask. A mask with neoprene rubber glued to the inside of the lens. You couldn't see a thing when you wore that mask. And our assignment was to swim down 10 feet to the bottom of the pool, not seeing anything, and find a tank one for each of us, turn on the air and start breathing. Some of my classmates freaked out. It was so disorienting. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know where to find the tank and they panicked. Nowadays, there are people who have put a blackened mask on themselves. But some of them don't even have the wisdom to panic. <laughs> some of them just drive down the highways of life exceeding the speed limit with black and mask on. The truth is, we can only properly know about sin 
if we properly know about God, and the only way to properly know about God is to properly know his word. Amen? What does God's word say about sin? Lots. The word of God addresses sin head on. The word of God in no way suggests that sin is a non-existent black cat in a black room with a blind person searching for it. Oh no. Scripturally, sin is the 15,000 pound elephant that is in each person's room. When the Lord Jesus came to earth to die for our sins on the cross, You'll recall the report that is given to us in Matthew 27, verse 45, that as the Savior bled and shed his blood to pay for our sins from the cross, as he was dying, it says in Matthew 27, 45, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. When the Lord Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, God the Father caused the bright Palestinian daylight hours between noon and 3 p.m. to go nighttime jet black. Why? Because during those most weighty of hours in human history, your sins and my sins were heaped onto the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Incredible body of Christ. Sin is that dark. And sin is that much of an elephant in your room. And sin is that much of an elephant in the Bahamas. And sin is that serious. And it was sin that actually caused the first Christmas. When you focus in on five different Hebrew words for sin, which are mentioned in the Old Testament scriptures, you learn a lot about sin and what God thinks of it. The God who hates sin and the God who will judge all sin. According to the five different Hebrew words translated sin in the Old Testament, sin is the following things. Sin is guilt, failure to keep God's law, missing the mark, perversion, rebellion, an error. According to the Hebrew words in our Old Testament books of the Bible, sin in the mind of God, which is the only mind that counts, is guilt, failure to keep God's law, missing the mark, perversion, rebellion, and error. And friends, it is precisely because 100% of persons before Christ came and 100% of persons since Christ came are characterized by those things. Guilt, failure to keep God's law, missing the mark, perversion, rebellion, and and error. Because that is true of 100% of us, God did something in love. God did something in grace. God sent his precious, sinless son the first Christmas to pay for sin. What about the New Testament? When we turn to the New Testament, there are not five words translated sin, but there's double five. There's ten words. 
The New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek, and the Greek words for sin that are found in the books of Matthew through Revelation, there are 10 different words. And based on the Greek meanings of these 10 different words translated sin in the New Testament, we learn what the mind of God is on sin, and it's the only mind that really matters, that sin is failure, missing the mark, offense, crossing the line, disobedience, falling down when we should have stood, being ignorant when we should have known, diminishing what we should have given full, diminishing what we should have given full measure to, law-breaking, and upsetting God's created harmonies. It's quite a list. Based on the Greek words used in the New Testament, sin looks like that. And because 100% of persons before Christ came and 100% of persons since Christ came are characterized by failure, missing the mark, offense, crossing the line, disobedience, falling down when we should have stood, being ignorant of when we should have known, diminishing what one should have given full measure, law-breaking and upsetting God's created harmonies because all that is true of all of us. God sent his spotless son the first Christmas pay for sin. Some say that Christmas is for kids. No. The Bible says that Christmas is for sinners. Me. All of you. Now, I know that you get the point. I know that you get the point that sin is not a non-existent cat, but rather that sin is the 15,000 pound elephant in everyone, everyone's room. I know that you get the point that sin is a very big deal, that sin is a deal breaker between us and holy God, that sin caused Christmas, that sin required a savior. Therefore, sin is a Christmas word. In Romans 3, 10 to 26, God says, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps, that's poisonous snakes, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin." But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Christmas. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation, a satisfactory payment, by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. Why? To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Galatians 4, verses 3 through 6. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But, one of the best words in scripture, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit, capital S, of his Son, capital S, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Matthew 1, 18 to 21. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. It is a magnificent miracle of love and grace, Christmas. Sinners like me and you to be made sons and daughters, adopted sons and daughters of holy God. All because of the first Christmas and the first Good Friday and the first Resurrection Lord's Day, we have become adopted children of God as we trust Christ and Christ alone to make us right with our Heavenly Father. Oh, yes, the Lord Jesus saves sinners who will put their full faith in Him by virtue. How does He do it? By three ways. He does it by virtue first of His shed blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Lord Jesus saves sinners who put their full faith on him by virtue first of his shed blood, but there's more. He saves us by virtue of his atoning death. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to the first part of verse 4. Listen, this is the gospel. 
Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here's the gospel. For I delivered to you of first of all that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. The Lord Jesus Christ saved sinners who put their full faith in him by virtue of his shed blood and these verses say also by virtue of his atoning death. But there's a third way that Jesus saves us. It's in this same passage. I'll read a little further, beginning at the beginning. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also receive, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you a first importance that which also I received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures watch and that he was buried watch and that he rose again don't give out a gospel tract that doesn't mention resurrection please don't do that you don't have the full gospel if you only have the death of Christ for sin and also the gospel is that he rose again from the dead and that he was He rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and he was seen by Cephas and then by the 12, and the verses go on to say, by 500 persons at one shot. He's alive. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He effectually does save sinners who put their faith in him and only him because of his shed blood, his atoning death, and his bodily resurrection from the dead. And so I'd submit to us December 3rd, 2023, when you talk about a preaching series on Christmas words, that it's right to begin with the word sin. Because sin is fundamental. And sin caused Christmas. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, quote, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's why he came, to save sinners. And I would say with Paul, of whom I am chief sinner. I want to close this topical sermon on the Christmas word sin with some practical life applications. Because you know me well enough, I hope, that it's not enough for me to explain what Bible verses mean Sunday by Sunday. If I just do just that, I've stopped short of my assignment from God. My assignment from God is to help you know what the Bible says, what it means, but then to help us together figure out how to put that into life. There are thousands of churches in Nassau, I'm told. We don't need another church that knows more in its head than it does in obedience to God's word. We don't need that. Hypocrites have never won lost people to Christ. Lost people see through hypocrisy and they want nothing to do with hypocrites. So let's, let's put this into life. 
Sin is a Christmas word. What you could do about that, number one, is that this Christmas season, you could tell lost persons that sin caused Christmas and see if they dropped their eggnog. And then you could have the Ten Commandments in your purse or in your pocket, gentlemen, and you could just share the Ten Commandments with that person. You see the problem? How many of those commandments do you keep? Let me tell you how many of those commandments I've kept. Have you kept all of these commandments? Neither have I. And that's because we're sinners. We fall short of God's standard. And that's why God sent his son. Because sin, our sin, caused Christmas. Then you're into the gospel. That's one idea. Second thing you could do, this Christmas season, you could play very close attention to all the beloved Christmas carols. We started to sing them in this service. All the Christmas carols you sing in church, all the Christmas carols you sing around the piano if you have one in your house, all the Christmas carols you see on television, all the Christmas carols you hear in the mall, all the Christmas carols. And you could pay careful attention to the lyrics of those Christmas carols and what those Christmas carol lyrics say about sin. Let me give you some examples. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow so far as the curse is found. Or, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Or, saying it today, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. If you had a mindset about Christmas carols this Christmas season and what they say about sin, it would deepen your worship of the Savior born Christmas. There's tons more examples of what the carols say about sin. Notice those examples. Ponder those examples. Teach those examples to your children, to your grandchildren, to your Sunday school class, to your Awana kids, to yourself. Teach yourself. Number three, not just at Christmas, year round. Sin is a Christmas word, but sin... Sin is all season, man. And year round, as a born again Christian, make it your job with the Holy Spirit's help to constantly be killing sin in your own life. Don't be like the naive child at the baseboard mouse hole thinking it was a mouse tail and you know, that's cool when it's a deadly cobra behind the wall. Puritan preacher John Owen said, always be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sin is a Christmas word. Sin caused Christmas. No sin, no need for Christmas. Plenty sin, plenty of a need for Christmas. The Christ of Christmas is the only remedy for your own sin, for the sin of this nation, and for the sin of this world. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the reality check on the seriousness of sin. Thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy that you would send your best, your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to solve our sin problem. Lord, may we tell lost people this month that sin caused Christmas and talk about the Ten Commandments. Lord, this month may we focus in on Christmas carols as they pertain to sin and what they say about sin. May it deepen our worship. And Lord, all year round, may we be vigilant, driven, committed to killing sin in our own lives so that it would not be killing us. I thank you for this precious congregation, the potential that resides within us because of Christ giving us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. I thank you, Lord, for the discernment we have because of him to know what sin is, to have a word of God open and known to us of what sin is. And I just pray we live righteously, that we, our lives would line up with our lips, and there'd be no hypocrisy in us, no duality, no secret lives, no grieving the Holy Spirit. And I pray these things with my friends and family. In Jesus' name, amen.